Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Wednesday, February 28th. 2024 and I'm delighted to have this time with you and I hope that it finds all of you doing very well. Remember, old Providence people, we are not having prayer meeting and Bible study tonight as I'll be headed out of town. I'll be back by Sunday, of course, but just please do be aware of that. Um, where we find ourselves today, we're still making our way through Acts chapter 24 to be precise. Yesterday, we heard Paul's argument before Felix, the Roman governor, where Paul defended himself, where he pointed out the different things that were going on. Really, what we saw was the start of his case. Today, we will see the conclusion of Paul's, not really case, Paul's defense of himself before Felix. But yesterday, what our focus was, was what Paul focused on when he explained his actions to Felix, where in so doing, Paul not only shows himself to be innocent of what he's been accused of by Ananias and the other Jews, he also gets to the very heart of what Christianity is, that living in light of Christ and the salvation we've received in him, Acts 24, verse 16. So, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Also, he says this in light of the previous verse, verse 15, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Paul points forward to that time of judgment and says, I, I believe in this too. And so I try to keep a clear conscience. Now, at this point that we've gotten to, Paul has not clearly delineated his faith in Christ. He's simply so, shown the effect of it. And he's also, yesterday we spent quite a bit of time, shown that while he doesn't mind being associated with this group that the Jews refer to as the way, Paul points out that the way is not some sect of Judaism, that it's not some continuation or some you know, poor theology version of Judaism based on Ananias' interpretation, of course. Instead, we get the first hints that Christianity is really the fulfillment of Judaism, and we spent quite a bit of time on that yesterday as well. So if you missed it, do go back and watch that. But where we are picking up today is Paul's final point, really, of his case. Now, we need to pray. We need to ask for the Lord's help. But we'll see Paul's final conclusion. And then we'll see something really, really curious take place. Curious indeed with Felix. He even brings his wife into the picture. Huh? What's going on there? Well, we can guess. We don't really know but we're going to dig in in just a moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is to have this time together that you have given to us, that we have the opportunity to go to your word, that we have the opportunity to learn from it, to get to the heart, really, of who you have called us to be and, and what you've called us to do. So please guide us in this time by your Holy Spirit, and we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so a couple of days ago, or a couple of devotions ago, I should say, I talked about who showed up in Caesarea after Paul, remember Paul was whisked away to Caesarea after the commander found out about this plot against Paul's life. He ends up sending him to Felix, the Roman governor. Eventually, Ananias gets there, but it's not just Ananias. If you look at chapter 24, verse 1, it says, five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. 
Now, I made a point then of using one of those old adages, one of those old phrases, that the man who serves as his own lawyer has a fool for a client. And I talked about the ancient professions where if you have a medical issue, you need a medical doctor. If you have a spiritual issue, you need a practitioner of divinity. You need a pastor. If you have a legal issue, you need a lawyer. Okay, there's no substitute for that. And that's true most of the time. But with Paul, we see something a little different. But we need to remember something here. Y'all, this is not Paul defending in court why he built a fence around his house and the HOA sued him, okay? This is not Paul went to Kroger and slipped on a banana peel and is now suing the produce department, okay? That's not what this is either. Um, and this is also not somebody was on Paul's property and I don't know, they, they tripped on a hole and broke their knee and so they're suing Paul. Yeah, that, I'm talking about secular situations there where if you need a lawyer, you really need a lawyer in those sorts of circumstances. No, what we're talking about is Paul being persecuted. And what's being given to us, what's on full display here is the promise made from Jesus about what the Holy Spirit does in terms of coming alongside us. We don't have to worry about what we want to say or, or what we're going to say to defend ourselves because y'all, Paul has held his own. We're not going to go back and read it, but we've been talking about the different points that he's been making. The first point that he makes, again, we're not going to read it again, but the first point that he makes is, is that there's no witnesses against him. We read that yesterday. Second, he argued that he wasn't the one that disturbed the peace. He said, listen, they accused me of doing this in the temple, but I was just there to pray. I was just there to give. I I didn't make a sound that you can't produce a single witness that says I'd made a sound that that I defiled the temple. And we know that they assumed that if we were to rewind back to several devotions ago, they saw Paul in the temple and went nuts because they assumed that he had Gentiles with him, but he didn't. And Paul points out, hey, I wasn't the one disturbing the peace. Remember yesterday we said that was kind of their biggest charge against Paul, that he's seditious, he's he, he's he's trying to, to stir up riots. Paul said, hey, listen, I, I didn't do that. You don't have any witnesses, number one. Number two, I wasn't disturbing the peace. They were the ones that were disturbing the peace. And, and third, Paul insisted that he had no desire to desecrate the temple either. Uh, he, he said, hey, I believe in the prophets. I believe in the law. I came ceremonially clean. All, he checked off all of the boxes. But today, we really get to the final argument in Paul's legal case that it's kind of like the death blow. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I love like the legal shows, or I used to. Like I used to love watching Perry Mason and and Matlock and and that sort of thing. And but as a child of the 80s and 90s, the OJ trial, right? You remember that chief moment of the OJ trial? Um, and it was Johnny Cochran, and they had OJ try to put the glove on. Now I think that was a little bit of a ripoff since he had on a rubber glove, right? And everybody knows that leather shrinks when it gets bloody and all. But nevertheless, nevertheless. Remember Johnny Cochran's line there? If the glove does not fit, you must quit. Oh, man. Powerful, powerful courtroom moment, okay? 
Well, Paul kind of lays his down, though it's not nearly as dramatic as him trying to pull on a glove and it doesn't fit. The fourth thing that he does here that is really kind of the, the, the last nail in Ananias' legal coffin here, well, let's read it because this is pretty, pretty devastating for the case made against him. Um, we're going to pick up in verse 17. We, we finished verse 16 yesterday, but this is Paul continuing to talk to Felix. Verse 17, after an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. Again, he's saying, I didn't cause a disturbance of the peace. They're the ones that did it. Verse 19, but there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state the crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing, I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am the one on trial before you today. Now, Paul simultaneously does two things. He gives this little reminder. You know, people say, well, what's this business about the Jews from the province of Asia? The Jews from the province of Asia were the 40 men who vowed to murder Paul. So what Paul's doing to, to Felix here is it's like he's sliding a little note to him and saying, hey, you know, these men are here and they're bringing this case against me, but the real ones are the ones that lied to your commander that were trying to ambush me. Oh, so cunning, so cunning, so wise to do things this way because he's painting this picture for Felix that, Felix, buddy, this is not what they are painting it to be. These men that you are dealing with that have said, oh, most excellent Felix, we've enjoyed your rule, all of these different things, just, just oozing, dripping with, with praise. They're not the men that you think they are. You really need to be talking to those guys that did. What was it? Oh, that's right. They lied to your commander in order to murder me and ambush your Roman soldiers too. But the final thing that is really the, the last nail in the judicial coffin for Ananias, is what Paul has just said. He said, or these who are here should state the crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. In essence, what he said to Felix is, um, you know, fine, they're here now to bring a case against me, but I was in their courts and they never brought a case against me. I was in their courts. They never, ever even accused me of a crime. And if we were to rewind and see what happened when he was for the Sanhedrin, guess what? Paul is right. And he doesn't have to say it to Felix in such few words. He's simply painting the picture. Felix knows what's up. He knows the score. He's saying to Felix, basically, they're here at Caesarea Philippi. They're here at Caesarea, excuse me. And um, they're, they're saying to you they have this case against me, but I was in their court under arrest by them, and they made no case against me there, and I've been, under, I've been under arrest since then, so why do they all of a sudden have a case now? Y'all, this is a devastating legal blow to Ananias, because what this is doing is it's showing him to, to look like some judicial conjurer where it's like, okay, well, we had him and we had him in our clutches, but we couldn't do anything. And so now we've sent him to the Romans and maybe we'll be able to come up with something there. And y'all, if Paul was just a Judean, 
Okay, if he's just a Jew, if he's just a member, all of those things, it would be a very different story. I, I, I guarantee you it would have been a different story in terms of, of, of Felix just saying, okay, fine, take him back, do whatever you want. I don't really care. Paul's a Roman citizen. He is afforded certain rights, rights that are unalienable, right, that they can't get around. And so Felix is really stuck at this point. And so what do we find? This is where we get to the interesting thing. And, and, and by the way, when Jesus made that promise about the Holy Spirit and not having to worry about what you said, don't we see that on full display here? Because Paul's the one that's speaking here. We know this is him, breathing, God breathing out his word through him since it's in the scriptures. But aside from that, we know that it's really the Holy Spirit that has come to Paul's aid in all of these things. But what happens next? And this is where it gets curious. Verse 22, then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, remember the way is that term applied to Christianity. That's what they were known as. Then Felix, verse 22, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Now, why is this curious? Well, didn't we read a couple of devotions ago that Paul is there before Felix and, well, it's at the end of verse or chapter 23. It says the governor read the letter, the one that was sent to him by the commander explaining the plot, right? The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. All right, so fine. That was back in chapter 23. Five days later, chapter 24, verse 1, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea. He takes his lawyer, all this kind of stuff. So he said first, Felix said, all right, I'll hear your case when your accusers get here. Well, they got here. They had nothing. They had nothing. Paul disproved everything that they accused him of. But instead of releasing him, then we hear him say, all right, all right, uh, okay, I'm going to hear your case when Lysias gets here. Well, who is Lysias? Well, we found out in chapter 23, verse 25, that the Roman commander wrote a letter as follows, Claudius Lysias. Okay, he's the commander that observed all of these things. And that kind of sort of makes sense, but the problem is it's not as if, you know, it was a phone call or something. He's already got the statement from Claudius Lysias. He talks about... All of these different things that have gone on there, um, and he doesn't find any wrong in him. He states that he's a Roman citizen. So why does Felix have to wait for Claudius Lysias? We don't really know. We really don't. But we can guess at a few things by what happened next. Verse 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Now, this is where we have to do some guesswork, y'all, and it's the best that we can do. Be aware that there's all sorts of traditions out there that people have run with just these few verses, and they've said, oh, Felix converted, and Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, converted to Christianity. And uh, We don't know any of that stuff for sure. Okay, could it be that 
Felix wanted to bring his wife in there. There's even the, the modern feminist thing where it's like, well, Felix didn't know what to do. So he really needed his wife who was super duper wise. And she was the one that would direct him. And that, you know, we don't get that from anywhere in here. We, we don't know anything about it. We don't know anything about her other than the fact that she's a Jewess. Okay. That means a female Jew. Okay. That, that's all that we know. And then we find out this. Verse 25, as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Again, what in the world is going on here? First, it's, okay, Paul, um, you're a Roman citizen. Let's wait till your accusers get here. Then I'll hear your case. Then it's, okay, let's wait until Lysias gets here and I'll hear your case. Then it's, I'm going to bring my wife and we're going to listen to you talk about what Christianity is and who this Jesus is. And then Paul starts talking about righteousness and judgment to come. Most likely it's the same talk about righteousness that he had all over the place in his other epistles, namely that on our own, we have no righteousness. The only righteousness we can have is through Jesus Christ and faith in him. And, 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 and Felix gets scared at this. And so it goes from, we'll wait for your accusers. We'll wait for Lysias. Now it's, I'll send for you when I find it convenient. What gives? There are some that guess that what may be going on here is that Felix may be struggling with his own Christianity that he wants to keep Paul close because he's heard the gospel and he's wrestling with it and he's wrestling with it. And there are some that turn this into this thing where it's like, oh yes, you know, God calls everyone, but some people, they really struggle against it. And, uh, you know, and until you make that commitment, until you ask Jesus to save you, until you accept Jesus in your heart, let me ask you all something. Do you know of any place in the New Testament, anywhere in God's word at all that uses that language about accepting Jesus in your heart? One place. That's a modern concept. What you find in the scriptures is repent and believe. Repent of your sins. Confess them, ask God to forgive you of your sins, turn around and go the other way and believe on the name of Jesus and be saved. There is no, everybody bow your heads and close your eyes and lift your hand if you feel like this. And oh, I see one, I see two. I joked about this when Paul was on the road to Damascus and Jesus claimed him for his own. But y'all, we just don't find that anywhere. So this idea that Felix is struggling against his own sense of religious obligation, and maybe he's going to become a believer and maybe not. You know, the best explanation is this. It's what we see in the next verses. What's really going on here with this really curious thing? Verse 27, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Y'all, we could guess at all of these different things, but ultimately, remember what the ultimate prize is here, right? Remember why all of these things are happening as they are happening. If we were to rewind and we see just after Paul's initially arrested in Jerusalem, we see this wonderful interlude 
where Jesus comes to Paul and he tells him, so you have done here, so must you do before Rome. We found out previously that, that Paul was initially told, you got to go to Jerusalem, but his ultimate mission is to make it to Rome, to make it all the way to Caesar so that the spread of the gospel increases, so that the, the influence of the gospel grows and grows and grows. And we know that it's when, in, when he's in Rome that he's going to write these epistles. God's word will expand. We know all of these things because we're in 2024 looking back. Paul didn't know all of these things, but the best explanation for this weird thing going on here with Felix bringing his wife and delaying things is that it fit into God's sovereign plan for Paul to be there for two years under arrest, all for the sake of him eventually getting to Rome. Now, can we make hay out of this? Yeah. Have people speculated all sorts of things? Absolutely. But y'all, what we need to do is fall back on the character of God himself and what we know about salvation and how salvation works. There are some that even say Felix became a believer. This can't possibly be true. Um, I mean, if it were, then why is he still wanting to grant favors to the Jews by leaving Paul in prison at the end of chapter 24? That doesn't add up. Instead, something else does, and it's that God is working his plan. Now, we know this. We can see this. But recognize that Paul didn't know this. Paul didn't know ultimately what was going to happen. He knew some things, but he didn't know everything that was going to take place. Instead, he just focused on being faithful. And y'all, while there are many devotional applications, there's certainly one of them is that just like Paul was ready to share Jesus Christ with Felix, with his wife, Drusilla, to testify to Jesus' greatness, so you and I should be ready to do the same. But also... Paul remained faithful when he didn't understand exactly what the Lord was doing. Paul knew that it wasn't on him to know the future, just like it isn't for you and me. And, and I get it. We want to know. We really do want to know. We want to understand why things happen the way they happen at the time that they happen. That's in our nature. But God doesn't call us to know all of those things. Remember Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, but those things that are revealed are ours forever. I'm paraphrasing it. And therefore our children, there are some things that God lets us know very clearly, and that's great. And we're to, 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 to rest in those things. But there's a lot of other things that we just don't know. And that's okay because our calling is to be faithful. Steady as she goes. Trust the Lord, be ready to testify, and never doubt that the Lord is always working. Even in those times that don't make sense in the slightest bit, He is always working. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray for your blessings in it and on us. Let us be faithful. Let us be ready to testify to your greatness and we don't have to have all the words. We don't have to have all the answers. Instead, we just have to point to who you are and who you have called us to be. So, Father, we thank you for this example that we see in Paul. We pray that we would learn from it, and we pray that we would be ready. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. But remember, old Providence people don't show up tonight. 
no prayer meeting and Bible study tonight. And Lord willing, we'll uh, we'll see you in the morning. Until then, have a very happy Wednesday or whatever day it happens to be that you find this.